0: Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You are about to listen to the Cybersecurity Insights Podcast with Matthew Rosenquist. Get ready to dive into the cybersecurity headlines and better understand the strategic nature of threats, attacks, innovations, and vulnerabilities.
1: Welcome to the Cybersecurity Vault. And today... We're going to talk about the recent MGM and Caesar breaches and the board lessons of these ransomware attacks. And I'm your host, Matthew Rosenquist, CISO, cybersecurity strategist and advisor. And my guest today is Andre Setnarski. Andre is a national security and cybersecurity strategist, named CEO of the Year by CEO Monthly Magazine, and founder of Cyber Nation Central. A global cybersecurity training and advisory firm for boards and C suites. Welcome, Andre. Thank you for
2: coming and talking with us. It's great to be here, Matthew. Always great to uh, to reunite.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And we've got a wonderful topic today because mm. if you've been in Vegas, which I'm sure we all have, right? <laughs> MGM and Caesars; those are the two big powerhouses there. They own so many of the different casinos and venues and everything else. And both of them got attacked recently, right? A couple of weeks ago, they got—they both got hit with ransomware attacks. Possibly, and it's not confirmed, but possibly even by the same threat agent. And yet, they approach these, right? Their response were quite different. Caesars paid millions to the extortionists. Well, MGM chose not to give in. And it took them about ten days to get back up and running, and the totals I've seen ranges from 50 to 80 million dollars impact. But what's your take on this situation, and the direction each of these big players right decided to take?
2: Where do we start? Um, so let's start with what the board decided to do: pay or not pay. Obviously, one of the pieces of calculus is. If we pay, where does it end? Right? So from that perspective, any board should think twice before paying. Secondly, any responsible board is going to take a look at and say, well, wait a minute, there is a regulatory hurdle that we've got as far as if we pay, are we in trouble with regulators? Okay, so take that aside for a second. So I wouldn't blame one company versus the other for, for doing what they did, what they each did. Uh, It is down to each individual company. So let's actually talk a little bit about what the board makeup and why they did what they did is, right? So MGM and Caesars. One of the things that, um, uh, Matthew, you might not know about my background is that I was actually uh, a global real estate lodging and leisure investment banker for UBS uh, for a number of years out of New York. And the uh, casino industry was... Uh, one of my biggest clients uh, globally, uh, but certainly out of Vegas as well. And unfortunately, when you look at real estate, lodging, leisure, casino operators, they are not what I would call cyber-ready. Their boards are not ready to deal with the strategic calculus of including um, cyber adversaries, let's call them broadly, in the strategic corporate strategy of the organization that is one of the biggest areas that boards have to fix and that also includes MGM and Caesars board going forward now here's an interesting uh, point to to your question MGM paid they took they swallowed Caesar's the pill. paid oh sorry Caesars C- paid, Caesar's paid. Um, they swallowed the pill that probably is a very painful but great lesson for Caesars to step back and say, never again. MGM, right, didn't pay, paid in terms of 10 days worth of operations being down, and therefore that translates into way more than the the ransom that was being asked. And I understand that was 30 million. The actual cost to the operation is going to be multitudes of that. So that's a different pill to swallow. Would I have done it? Well, I'll, I'll save that for individual board conversations that you and I have, but that's something that a board needs to take up. Do we pay? Now, do you think
1: there's ethical considerations here? I mean, we're talking dollars and cents, and, and obviously boards have a fiduciary duty, right, to protect their shareholders and, and whatnot. But when it comes to ransomware... Is there ethical considerations? I mean, you're, you're funding the enemy. You're funding the next mm. attack. And, you know, stats show that, a, you know, a good chunk of this, in some cases, 70% of ransomware overall, not not specifically talking about these two victims, you know, tends to go overseas to very aggressive nation states that don't like the United States. Some that are building nuclear weapons, right? <laughs> some that are, you know, currently yeah. in and waging war, Um Is there an ethical consideration we should take a look at here?
2: Yes, we should. But if I'm sitting on a board, my first and foremost stakeholder is the shareholder. And so therefore, you've got a dilemma, right? Am I going to go the ethical route or am I going to save my company's skin? And therein lies the possibility for government to play a role. Okay, now... That said, our government is currently screwing that up. I've been very public in my comments about the recent SEC regulations that have come out, the cyber rule that forces boards to disclose their management process, not yet the board process for cybersecurity, but management, what is management doing, how is management preparing, etc. on the one hand, and on the other hand, forcing management to disclose issues of how the breach came about, um, what has happened in the breach, etc., without going as far as having the board and management team to describe the nitty-gritty of the breach, the attack vectors, etc. But we've already seen from this Caesars and MGM breaches, uh, from these uh, MGM and Caesars breaches, that the amount of disclosure both companies came out with have given at least a little bit of a playbook to wannabe followers, right? Follow-ons, if you will, uh, cyber attackers against other casinos, real estate operators, etc. Right. In other words, what has been disclosed in Caesar's disclosures and MGM's disclosures provides a bit of a playbook for. Mm, that's how these breaches succeeded. Cool. We can learn from this as attackers and attack others that might not be as prepared as MGM and Caesars might be going forward. That's a problem. And yet our regulators are forcing this. That's yeah, a problem. But,
1: you know, the, the argument against that is saying, specifically for the SEC findings, is or the SEC uh, requirements, is when a public company right, has a material impact, that company has to notify the shareholders. Of course. Which is true for other things as well. It has to be done in a timely manner of course, right? because there's people in the company, executives and a whole bunch of people that are going to know bad things are happening. They may short the stock, right? They may divest and, and the normal investors won't get that information in a timely manner and that's unfair to them. So I can definitely see why that transparency is a requirement coming out of SEC and I don't always like everything SEC does. But that transparency seems to be a a good position to protect those shareholders if I'm a shareholder. And maybe let's so I- come back to ethics as well, because if you don't share this, I, as a shareholder, if I own sh- stocks of MGM or Caesars, which I do not, but if I did, I might be not so happy with Caesars board if they're paying russia or north korea or or some other nation state and i don't agree with that from yeah. a humanitarian from an ethical perspective but, Matthew, but without the, the sdc they, they, they may be able to, to hide that
2: we're on the same page there okay this is not about not disclosing that a breach has happened but it is about disclosing or as in this case not disclosing how it happened what specifically happened So the details, potential details details
1: that could be used to the advantage of the attacker. Okay, And and I don't think anybody would say, yeah, tell them what vulnerability they exploited and everything else. Uh, And not just that,
2: not just that, right? The SEC has a dual role, and it is a double-edged sword role. They have to go as close as possible to the kind of disclosure that's necessary in order for shareholders to have the knowledge that you're talking about but on the other hand, not go far enough so that that knowledge to the shareholder also becomes helpful knowledge to a potential other adversary that then can use that knowledge and go after the company again, thereby hurting the very shareholder interest that the SEC was trying to protect to begin with. That's the problem.
1: Okay, okay. I, I see what you're saying. Let's take it up a, a higher level from a strategic mm. point of view, let's talk about the sector itself. yeah um, how can right this this transparency this transparency may hurt or hinder and I think in the long run it's actually going to help, right? But if, for example, Caesars gets hit and and, and I'm making this up, right Caesar gets hit, notifies the world and their shareholders, we got hit by ransomware, we're not paying m g m gets hit, notifies their shareholders. We're not paying. What message does that send to those financially motivated threat agents? Is that saying, hey, you know maybe this sector's not a good sector to attack. We put all this effort and time into trying getting a big return, and one after another are not paying we're We're still doing the effort. it's not working. Maybe it's time to move on to another sector. Let's go back to healthcare. They love to pay. Right? Let's go back somewhere else, right? To easier targets. Can Determine. this can this, you know, this this breach notification actually help entire sectors if if they bind together number 1 and 2 Obviously, they need to invest in the security controls to either prevent or rapidly respond and be able to recover, right? That's part of it. We don't want multiples of losses. That's just bad business. But if your loss to this $15 million ransom is only $2 million because you're on it, it's an easy decision. But again, if you hide it and go, oh, well, I've got insurance. The stockholders don't need to know. I mean, is there an opportunity here for these sectors yeah. to bind together and go not us, not today, we won't play your game. Go find someone else. Go find another sector that wants to play your game.
2: Is so, that an opportunity here? It okay, so first things first, you should never hide the fact that you've been breached. Learn from Uber. where the CISO almost went to jail and the judge flat out said the next CISO is not going to be so lucky and the only reason why you're not going to jail is because this is the first case of its kind. Again, the next CISO is not going to be so lucky. So do not hide the fact that you've been breached. How much you disclose and how fast has a little bit of a leeway. So this is where your board has to play a very careful role Uh, uh, strategic um, uh, game of what do we disclose in order to make regulators and investors happy and uh, and healthy from an investor perspective. But secondly, how little can we disclose in order for us to not become a victim again or fuel attackers? So let's just leave all of this in one little bucket and off to the side now. Second, to your question of Will attackers move away? Well, yes and no. It depends on what the motivation of attackers was to, to, to breach you to begin with. Was it really for you and only you to pay ransom? Okay, if that was the only motivation, then yes. Collusion amongst uh, industry companies and organizations would help thwart that kind of an attacker. But I would purport to say that that isn't, and most of the time probably isn't, the only uh, 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 motivation for an attack. Why? Cybercrime is organized crime, right? It's a $7.9 trillion economy, third largest economy in the world, growing at 15% per year. So this isn't your garage geek anymore, right? Quote, unquote, garage geek anymore, uh, breaching organizations. This is organized crime. Think companies with CEOs of cybercriminal networks, et cetera, et cetera. And so when you think of it from that perspective, those companies have multiple customers. So one customer of data that was breached in a Caesars or MGM uh, attack is indeed the breached company themselves, who would buy back that data from the attackers by paying ransom. But that data can also be sold to other stakeholders, other customers, be it competitors, be it On the dark web to somebody else that has a whatever reason to purchase that data, etc. And so this isn't so simple as just saying we, we as an industry, are going to bind together and just say no. Is that the right thing to do? Well, yes, but only if we are so damn ready from a breach deterrence and posture of deterrence perspective that indeed we do not fear being breached and therefore pay the. Financial, operational, um, legal, regulatory, and other costs that are associated with a breach. If you're not ready for that, then yeah, the easier thing to do is to pay, which is why hospitals whose boards, administrative teams, CEOs have not been ready. They have been paying because it is the uh, right, more swallowable, swallowable pill. Once our breach deterrence and cultures of cybersecurity pick up steam... That's when we can indeed have the kind of conversation that you're talking about, Matthew, where now we're fairly confident we're not going to get breached. And therefore, we don't give a hoot who tries to breach us. We're just going to say no.
1: Okay, so then let's bring this back to the board. Right. Um, If I'm consulting to a board, you you and I just get thrown onto the MGM board and go, okay, what are we supposed to do moving forward? Right. Right. You know, I think one of the directions I would take is to give that strategic direction to the CISO and their organization to say, the goal I want you to achieve, because I know you can't prevent every attack, but I want you to make sure that we are in a risk position, that we are preventing as much as possible, but in the event that it does happen, I want recovery to be less than $2 million impact or $3 million impact or whatever it is, right? But put a dollar figure on it and say, this is a success criteria. This is your goal. Mm. Because when they come back and say, we want to have some ransom, the board wants to do the ethical thing. We want to represent our shareholders, and we want to showcase how we're better than everybody else. And we want to turn that down with confidence, Because we're going to be set up, we're still going to take a hit, but we're going to be set up to a manageable one and I'm going to hold the CISO to a certain bar, a certain goal, X million dollars, recovery time, X amount of time, whatever it is. Is that the way you would approach it or would you recommend something different?
2: So first I would say that's good, not great. There's a great book by that title. Second, I come at it from a chairman and CEO perspective. I am not a CISO, okay? I come at it from the perspective of having seen breaches firsthand, how they've unfolded, and what a great CISO would have or would have not been able to do, accomplish, etc. And I therefore come at the issue of cyber security, and really more broadly cyber, very differently than the entire industry generally does. What does that mean? When you think about some of the motivations of attackers, you've got to start saying to yourself as a CEO, and certainly from a governance perspective as chairman, I am now in charge of growing the cyber profile of my organization. Okay. If that doesn't ring different bells than a physical organization, then let's just think about it for a second. Most boards and C-suites have been built to manage a physical organization, manufacturing plant, hospital, whatever. It's a physical organization. And we've been going, going and growing gangbusters on digitalizing and digitizing the entire footprint of that very physical organization. However, as we all know, probably, most of the digitalization and digitization of our processes and institutions has not been cyber secured on a one one to one basis, right? With every step of digitalization, we're not cyber securing it at a one for one ratio. Okay, well, we could go and, and have another podcast on why that is, but the the, the nitty gritty, the the big picture of it is, internet was built as a house without doors and windows. We're going to be paying it, paying for it for a long time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we're trying to approximate cybersecurity to digital. To, to the digitalized footprint as closely as possible. Okay, but within all of that, therefore, if I'm the CEO of the company, I am no longer the CEO of just the physical organization. I'm the CEO of a digital footprint of that organization and the cyber-secure rendition of that organization. So what that means, really, is I've got to think through all three lenses. And that's something very different. Why? Because when I'm developing a corporate strategy for my entire company, for my HR organization, for my financial organization, for my operations, and then the CISO is developing theirs and the CFO is developing theirs, etc., we are currently botching the issue of how do I, a CEO, think of my duties? My duties now. This is now the CISO's duties. My duties in the physical organization and how they translate or don't translate, and there are both, into the cyber replica of the organization. So, for example, if I'm the CFO, frankly, before I even go there, every part of the organization now has an additional stakeholder that they have to be including in in their corporate strategy, and that's the cyber adversary. That is one of the biggest failures of the MGM and Caesars board and C-suite. They have not paid attention enough to that stakeholder in their corporate strategy. And regardless of how amazing their CISO was, wasn't, etc., and how amazing their technology was or wasn't, there were clearly governance processes that a typical board director would normally be thinking through from a, for a physical organization that didn't translate over into that cyber equation for that board director, for that CEO, etc. And so therefore, if I'm the CFO and I'm not looking currently at the financial statements from an adversary's perspective, I am botching my responsibility over protecting the financials of the organization from hackers. This is not the CISO's job. A CISO is not a CFO, and so therefore you've got to, as an organization, enable every executive to know just enough of what they need to know to discharge their cyber roles. They've got them, most don't know that, and are therefore leaving the organization open to vulnerabilities within their area, not the CISO's area. The CISO may be doing an amazing job on IT, OT security, etc., infosec security, so on and so forth, But if the CFO isn't doing what I just said, if the chief HR officer isn't thinking through how do we bring on board people that are cyber-ready, cyber-trained, they have cyber-acuity, and therefore we're not hiring people that are exposing our organization to their professional, personal, family, cyber risks, and instead are bringing those risks into the organization, then I, as a CHRO, am not doing what I should be doing, and my CISO cannot be doing For the HR area, that's a different dynamic than what is currently happening in the industry. Right now, we are treating the CISO as the de facto CEO of an organization for whom it is impossible to manage the entire organization. We're putting a major role on top of one person's shoulders and saying, go fight wins, setting them up for failure. So...
1: Forcing them to own the responsibility without empowering them to actually manifest the necessary controls and, and strategy. You know, it goes back to the old, you know, question, whose responsibility is cybersecurity? It's everyone's. It's and everyone. if that CFO and CHO and, and CEO don't have that in their mind, then there's gonna be gaps and there's probably even gonna be friction. Between the CISO and the CISO may go, hey, we need to make sure all our customer service reps in IT are very well trained in cybersecurity. And the IT guy, no, no, we outsource this. Don't worry about it. I don't have time. I need them on okay. the phones. And then we get a situation where, you know, MGM... The attacker goes through the help desk, gets a password reset because they spoof, basically impersonate somebody, and everybody goes, oh, no. And they may turn around, go back to the CISO and go, you failed. Well, well, wait a second. I wasn't, as a CISO, empowered to close that. I tried to get that happen, and it was, you know, ZBB, it was put under the budgetary line. So, you know, I I completely agree with you. We we have to empower the organization.
2: Have to. And and that's not a nice-to-have anymore. It's a must-have that adversaries are exploiting. So your question as a CEO and chairman of the board is, am I actually aware enough of what my role is to be able to drive that kind of awareness across the entire organization? And 99 times out of 100, that is absolutely not the case. Most CEOs and chairs have no idea what I just said is true, much less that they have a role in it, much less of how to execute on that role. And so, therefore, we've got this cacophony in the market of, oh, my God, let's get a qualified technical expert on a board and drive, uh, drive cybersecurity on the board. and Okay, great. Let's assume we get the best CISO, who's a phenomenal governance person, onto our board. And then the company gets breached because each individual board director didn't know that actually adversaries can very easily get into the organization through them and their cyber insecurity. Not just professional, but at home because they're, you know, working on whatever from home, from cyber insecure networks at home that are not being managed by the organization and never will be nor should be because of privacy reasons. And so therefore, an individual board director serves as a patsy into the organization. How in the world can a qualified technical expert or anybody in that realm of expertise be able to prevent that unless we've empowered individual board directors and executives to not only know their roles, but then empower that kind of a culture of cybersecurity and breach deterrence from their role down through their part of the organization. You can't. And so, therefore, a CISO and a cyber governance person on a board cannot be the only two people in the organization that speak cyber. Everybody has to. And I'm not saying everybody has to be a cyber expert. This is not what this is about. But everybody has to be aware of what they uniquely, in their own role as pick your title, have to be aware of about cybersecurity in order to drive their role and their part of the organization through that lens. That's
1: it. And I think the key word that you mentioned there is culture. That's what you're really getting to, is the 100%. culture has to be uh, open and aware and reinforced, especially from the board down, that cybersecurity is everybody's responsibility. And the CFO and and you know product managers and everything else – need to be working with the CISO as a partner, which in my mind says, okay, you also have to have joint goals that you're working towards and you're jointly owning the success of those goals. Exactly. In keeping that product secure, in keeping IT up and running, in making sure we've got the proper security training uh, and, and background checks of people that we're hiring. And that then becomes that teamwork effort And it's not the isolated CISO that we will, you know, demand they fix everything without empowering or just use as a scapegoat when something does happen. It's got to come from the board down, culture change and shift to embrace the value propositions of cybersecurity and it helps every, every department. It helps you finance, couldn't. make sure the attackers don't move that decimal point. It makes sure that the confidentiality of the HR records and the availability of the IT infrastructure, the IT and OT world. So, yeah, exactly hey, everybody right. should be on board, right?
2: Exactly right. You couldn't have summarized my lot in life better that is what i focus on day in and day out but let's push that even further okay so our new white house national uh, uh cybersecurity strategy has come out and is very big on cyber secure by design technologies and scoring companies on how well the technologies that they produce come towards being cyber secure by design and again good not great why because the whole issue of cybersecurity by design technologies is something that was already true 20 years ago. Okay, so, so we're catching up very slowly to what I like to tell boards and C-suites they have to be compliant with, which is the hacker innovation curve. Not You should not look at cybersecurity regulations out of any government, even the United States, which is ahead of the curve in front of most peers around the globe. Right? You should not be looking at being compliant with regulations of the United States government. You should be looking at being compliant with the hacker innovation curve. What does that mean? Cybercrime is growing at 15% per year. Cybersecurity is growing at 9.7. So clearly, hackers are growing faster, and for a lot of reasons that we can get into, right? It's lucrative, it's easy to perpetrate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But... From a technology perspective, our cybersecurity market isn't growing as fast. Okay, great. So let's say we close that gap. Still, when you look at cyber breaches and you, you look at whatever statistics you want to look at, whether it's the Verizon breach report or the IBM breach report, somewhere between 3 to 30% of cyber breaches are caused by insufficiencies of technology, right? so cyber insecure technology, and CISO weaknesses. The remainder, right, is caused, so the remaining, call it 70 to 97%, is caused by social engineering, which really is a a form of cyber insecure behaviors, cyber insecure strategy, both of which emanate from where? Now, this is so, board and C suite, board chair and CEO. And so, again, unless you're elevating cybersecurity to the cyber acuity of the CEO and chair, who are the culture drivers of the organization? Unless the CEO is also the chair, in which case that one person either drives or doesn't drive, empower or not empower individual executives to do what they need to be doing in cybersecurity. That's where you're starting to fall apart. And so, while I while I respect and and tout uh, the White House National Cybersecurity Strategy as a step forward, what we need to be talking is uh, about is cybersecure by design boards c suites and cultures that indeed include cybersecure by de- design technologies but are much more broadly focused on how do we create okay nations if you're a president of a country and then institutions if you're the ceo of an institution and citizens if you're just an individual person right how do we create cybersecure by design nations institutions and citizens that actually retain sovereignty in cyberspace because they have a breach deterrence posture, and not just a posture, a culture of cybersecurity that is impermeable. And right now we are fighting against a trend in boards that is not okay. And not just boards, our government, which is, oh, we'll just get breached. Well, that's a wrong approach if we're trying to stay ahead of hackers, so I get it. It's, it's the de facto. That's where we are. But if I'm sitting in front of a senator, congressman, president of a country, CEO, board chair, I am not saying you're going to take this lying down. You need to do something to fight. So, okay, great. You've got a number of tools at your disposal. Your company is one, so you've got to be doing what you need to be doing in order to protect your company. Secondly, at a... right. Let's call it collusion for fun per, from a fun perspective. You should be colluding in a good way with other companies, like you said earlier, to make sure that we as an industry are doing something that that increases our posture of deterrence, our culture of cybersecurity, etc, et etc. Cetera, et cetera, fill in the blank. Can
1: we call that collaboration versus colluding? Well, <laughs> colluding I, I,
0: is more. I, I, like I, I think criminal
1: contrarian. nature when you would you know colluding here.
2: I, I like to be contrarian sometimes because the register's better, <laughs> right? Then oh, let, let's glad handle each other, right? Um, and and so so yeah, let, let's let's call it what it is, right? Let's bloody collude for good, okay? against cyber adversaries, because that is what's necessary. And so this is where a comparison between the financial services sector and the healthcare sector is an interesting one, right? So financial services is the second highest cost of average breach industry in the world after healthcare. But what's interesting is, right, so financial services has been at this breach deterrence issue, breach prevention issue for quite some time, and has gotten Pretty okay with it, but obviously breaching a financial services in- institution is very lucrative, and so therefore it's still there, and, and it's and it's going to be there.
1: It's always going to be a target. That's where the money is, yeah, right? But, yes. but
2: healthcare is an easy target because you've got lives at stake, etc., and most hospitals will, again, pay because right now they are not ready to not pay and suffer the consequences of operational shutdown, lives at risk, etc. And so the healthcare average cost of breaches... Two times the size of the average financial services uh, uh, cost of breach, and so when you're looking at best practices, yeah, the, the healthcare industry has something to learn from the financial services industry. An average hospital has something to learn as well, and yet an average hospital's board is nowhere near the level of expertise that they need in their own role—not cybersecurity expertise, but in their own role and their and its cyber readiness to be able to fulfill a breach-deterrent posture from their perspective on their board. That has to change. And so these kinds of best practices have to permeate every industry. And I'll say one final thing on this point, which is, if you are in, let's say, the communication industry, the transportation industry, the the logistics industry, the marketing industry, whatever, pick it, and you're saying to yourself, oh, my average cost of breach is really low Therefore, for, for for my industry, therefore... I, I'm not so worried. Be very careful. That just means that hackers have not caught up to you yep. yet. That's all it is. <laughs> the clock think, is ticking. Enjoy it long you can because they will come for you. <laughs> and, and, and if you think that I'm uh, exaggerating, I'll just give you one example. I was uh, invited to uh, one of the most prestigious institutions. I won't uh, name which one. Uh, and certain conversations around the energy sector in 2017, and this is one of the preeminent energy policy uh, institutions in the world, hands down. And um, I, of course, brought the cybersecurity or cyber insecurity of our energy uh, sector up and our energy grid, etc., and the person um, that is at the height still of expertise in energy uh, of that institution said, oh, we're not worried about um, uh, cyber insecurity of our U.S. energy grid. We're very good. No one's going to come after it. Okay, well, I mean, we know the history. So, so that is a person that is literally forming policy for our country. So then history shows us the entire opposite of that. So think about it. The cyber awareness issue at government, typical company, board, C-suite level, is still not there. Do not sit with your hands behind your back and not bring your organization's leadership up to speed because you either are deluding yourself or you think you don't have the time. If you think you don't have the time, let me tell you, you're going to spend months responding to a breach, and regulatory wrath, and paying for the cost of breach. Um, in fact, go to cybernationcentral.com forward slash care. It'll show you a couple of statistics and graphs that will make you think twice about not caring if you're the CEO or the board chair. There are psychological costs on your company, on your employees, operational productivity loss for years. Customer loss, customer revenue loss, reputational loss, IP loss. The list goes on. Make sure you're aware of what your vulnerabilities are. This is why I say cybersecurity is about corporate strategy. It is not about cyber risk. Cyber risk is just one component of cyber, right? Think about it. You've got a cyber replica of your organization. Risk within it is one thing. But how do you use cyber to grow your organization responsibly. Now we're getting into a much deeper topic that we don't have the time for today, but, uh, but just sit in that, what is my cyber profile of this organization? Is it cyber secure? What are we individually doing or not doing? Start there. You're going to start seeing holes in your governance strategy, in your execution strategy. Take it from there.
1: Got it. Okay, so a couple of key points here, as we've been talking, um, you know, there is a disparity between the investment in cybersecurity and, you know, the, the the pace, basically, of the attackers, right? And right now, security is finding great difficulty in even just keeping pace, not, not even gaining ground, just keeping up with the attackers. So we have to yeah. have that in mind. And when we look at regulatory things, that's... That's basement, right? That's, that's the bottom. That it, it's really just trying to raise all boats. Just because you're compliant with some regulation does not mean you're secure, does not mean you're impervious. In fact, you're probably a good distance from best practices, even just within your sector. So it's not yeah. the place to stop your focus and in investment on security. That's the place you need to start investing. You need to get there first. That's table stakes and then start figuring out where you want to be as you approach those best practices within your industry. And Matthew, I'll throw
2: one more thing in there for for board chairs and CEOs. When you're interviewing board directors, you have to ask yourself, is that director cyber ready? If they're not, can they be relatively quickly? Otherwise, you're bringing in old world problems into a new world issue area, cybersecurity, cyber profile of the organization, etc. And unfortunately, most, I'm going to be very uh, um, unapologetic here, many boards still have directors on them that sit on them to collect a paycheck, do what is necessary of a board director because of fiduciary duties and regulations rather than what's necessary of a board director, because that's the right thing by shareholders. Okay, so let's, let's call a spade a spade even closer. As Matthew just said, there's a big difference between regulatory compliance and what I call tactical responsibilities that a CEO, every executive, board chair, every board director have. Just because you're fulfilling on your fiduciary Cyber even if cyber right so let's say you're you're the cyber governance person on a public board and you're happy because you're fulfilling your fiduciary role against all the SEC regulatorily required um, uh, issue areas right you're fully compliant on the SEC regulation that just came out good for you you're still completely and utterly breach prone and this is what we call an old CISO-centric approach where you re- over-rely on the CISO and cybersecure technologies as the end-all-be-all all to save your organization versus the CEO method or the CEO-centric decentralized approach of empowering every one of your executives and board directors to own their area of, area of expertise. And therefore, yes, you are regulatorily compliant, but, but much more importantly, you are tactically uh, fulfilling your tactical responsibilities and roles to keep your organization breach deterrent and a culture of cybersecurity intact. That's the gap that as a CEO and chair you need to bridge.
1: So then the next kind of follow-on key points is, one, you have to act proactively, right? You can't just sit back and do things in the old way, old manner. We'll follow regulations because, again, even just following the regulations doesn't mean you're secure, doesn't mean you you have an optimal level of security to prevent as much as you should and then quickly respond and recover to those things that get through, right? And those are business That's decisions. right. And the second thing that I'm hearing is, unfortunately, these proactive kind of measures takes a certain level of expertise that the board may not have, the C-suite may not have potentially even the CISO may not have. We have a lot of CISOs that grew up from a technical perspective, and they're great at you know configuring ACLs on a firewall, but having those business discussions with that CFO and CEO and board, talking yeah. in terms that they understand, enabling and educating and helping them right, be invested in protecting their environments and understanding what that means, even the CISO may not have that expertise, so we need that expertise, and again, top level down, at the boards, at the C-suites, and at that, C, uh, that CISO to help manifest this culture change to get to more of an optimal level of security. And so, that is why,
2: Matthew, I say the cybersecurity problem has to start with the CEO, yeah, because if I, the CEO I, does I, not say to everybody, guys and gals, you've have to be vulnerable enough to not just say, oh, my area is perfect, we don't need anything. We have to call out the the uh, warts, yeah. know that we're not going to see repercussions because of that and wrath from the CEO. Quite the opposite, we're going we're gonna to hear, I see, we've got these issues, we've got to deal with that. Similarly with a CISO, a typical CISO, CTO certainly, even chief security officer has not grown up in thinking about every corner of the organization from a functional perspective, executive perspective, governance perspective. And so how in the world would we possibly expect them to be the de facto CEO of a growing cyber profile of an organization and set us up for success? It's impossible. And so therefore, it has to be decentralized.
1: I would agree. You know, the, the CEO is pivotal. Uh, if you don't have support from the CEO, you're dead in the water. You can be the best CISO in the world, and it's not going to matter. You're going to have those barriers. And I would even take it a step further. It's not just, oh, I'm going to let you do what you need to do. It actually, you need, the, you need a CEO to understand the relevance and value and get them to proactively be involved. They should you be have to. championing. They should be understanding this. They should be leading by example, because if they're not, that sends that apathetic message to the rest of the C-suite and probably to the board as well. That's and so absolutely that CISO right. is key. Right. And that relationship between the CISO and CEO is is crucially important. If you don't have that CEO advocacy, I think you're dead in the water. Okay, last question for you, because I I know we're running out of
2: time. On on, on this point, I'm just going to plug one thing. Uh, I have a paper, an 80... This is not for the faint of hearts. It's for chairs, CEOs, right, chairs, CEOs, and CISOs. A paper coming out in the Cybersecurity Peer Review Journal by Henry Stewart Publications on how do I, as a CEO and board chair, build a culture of cybersecurity from the board down? you will see that the CEO, it's not even a question, the CEO has to drive it. And as Matthew just said, has to drive it authentically. And so therefore it starts with, do I as the CEO understand my own risks? Professional, personal, family. Because as the CEO, I definitely am targeted across all three areas and I have no time to deal with them, no time to learn my risks, no time to learn mitigation strategies. And yet, guess what? Again, you have to. Why? The attackers because don't care.
1: Exactly. <laughs> they're going to come after you either way. In fact, and they want you to not have time.
2: That's exactly right. So I'll leave it at that for now.
1: Okay. Okay. So last question for you, just really quick. Um, board members who are seeing this MGM in Caesars, and maybe they're in that industry, maybe they're in an adjacent sector, whatever, but they're they're nervous, right? Long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs, they're a little nervous, Real quick, what are the three pieces of advice that they need to do right now? What are the three things as board members?
2: I have only one. Oh, okay. Get trained. And out of that comes out maybe another one. Don't be complacent. I hear too many board directors say, well, I'm just just an average board director. I'm not an audit committee chair. I'm not a this. I'm not a that. I'm just an ordinary board director. And as that board director, you should be pushing the envelope of, are we doing what we need to be doing to protect our cyber profile of the organization? Not cybersecurity. Big difference, right? Cybersecurity, cool. Yep, CISO has a big role to play in the IT, OT area. But from an info security, information security, data security, patient security, right? That requires strategy that every board director given they are privy to the corporate strategy of the organization, has a role in. You have to play that role. You have to push that envelope. And if you are on a board where you say, well, I can't bring that up because the, the audit committee chair is going to shoot me down, you're on the wrong board.
1: Yeah, yeah. You're, you, you shouldn't be off. on the board. If, if you get can't off. speak out, you shouldn't be on the
2: board. 100%. And if you're the audit committee chair, and if you're more about power than actually empowering your organization then in all honesty if I'm the chair of your board I would be looking to replace you now I'm, I'm being contrarian here to, to drive a purpose right there are ways to deal with all of these issues from a cultural perspective that make everybody happy but I'm driving this point because as an audit committee chair if I'm really looking at the, at the well-being of my organization not just my well-being then I'm saying first things first audit audit is a backward-looking function. I was an auditor. That was my first job out of college. It's a backward-looking function. Cyber is not. It's an innovation-focused function. And therefore, right there, you've got a mismatch between cybersecurity and an audit committee handling that cybersecurity. And so the question becomes, should boards have a cyber committee? And I couldn't be a bigger proponent of that for many reasons. Yeah, I agree. That's one. Two, because the cyber issue is dwarfing every other issue on a board. Why? Because it is so lucrative to to hackers. And so, therefore, if you're a CEO worried about making your quarterly uh, uh, financial statements, right? I'm going to put my investment banker's hat on for a second. And so I'm looking at risks to my financial statements. I'm looking at my CFO. Are they doing their job? My chief business development. Are they bringing the revenue, etc.? If I'm not looking at the cyber adversary and how they can take out most of that profit out of my organization with one shot, then I shouldn't be the CEO of this organization. And I know that I should be the CEO of this organization and therefore it behooves me to have that strategy in place. That's what I'm saying. So I'm being contrarian to shake folks up, but the, right within your current contract of the board, you've got every tool available to you through individuals like, like myself, my company, Matthew, his company, etc., to fix some of these issues and really prepare your organization to develop a posture of breach deterrence, a culture of cybersecurity. Every single board director and, C- and C-suite executive, behaving cybersecurely, conducting themselves and their culture cybersecurely, fulfilling their roles and responsibilities, etc. Do it. That is the first thing. Second, again, if you're whoever on an executive team or board, make sure that you're pushing the envelope because that is what's necessary in order for us to, for you and your organization, to win against hackers. Nothing short of that.
1: I love those two things, right? It's really recognizing cyber is
2: a board issue,
1: so it's part of your purview, so you better get empowered, which means that that means education. And then the second thing is you better act purposefully, right, with that newfound empowerment and all the tools at your disposal to be able to manage risk. Because, again, it is a board issue. It affects your bottom line or whatever your organization's goals are. Right, and you need to be leading that. You, your CEO, and then down into your CISO and, and everyone else. So I love that advice. I think that's great. So let's kind of sum up here. Um, you know, you are the CEO of Cyber Nation Central. You've been slinging great advice here. Um, and you know your your company advises and educates boards regarding you know the management of cyber threats. So uh, how should leaders engage your organization for advisement? What's the best way?
2: Two ways: connect with us on CybernationCentral.com. Um, you can go to forward slash consultation and simply schedule a consultation. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, you've got my name up there. I'm probably the only Andre Setnarski with that spelling. In the world, actually, I think I am actually. (laughs) So, so that makes things very easy. (laughs) What can I say? My parents tried and succeeded, including every letter of the alphabet they could in that name. So, just connect with me on LinkedIn, and and we'll get you, uh, we'll get you all the information you need. But just go to our website. There's so much information on our website that helps empower your organization to just know what your issue areas are, how to tackle them, and from there. As you're building out, or trying to build out your culture of cybersecurity, breach deterrence, empowering individual, not just collective directors and executive teams to do what they individually and collectively need to be doing, that's where we shine. We're the only organization that actually does that, believe it or not. Um, So reach out, happy to connect you with the knowledge that you need, and take it from there.
1: Outstanding, thank you, Andre. Always a wealth of information and great insights.
2: And thank you
1: all for watching. Be sure to subscribe and catch all the Cybersecurity Vault episodes where we chat with industry leaders like Andre to dive into the most relevant and interesting cybersecurity challenges, perspectives, and best practices. We'll see you next time.
0: Thank you all. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Cybersecurity Insights Podcast with Matthew Rosenquist, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player. Subscribe to the ITSP Magazine YouTube channel and share the ITSP Magazine podcast network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit ITSPmagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.